the book of Jurassic Park I find has so many conversations about like discussions about chaos theory and mathematics and genetics. It's all this jargon about like the science behind the proving that dinosaurs actually could be recreated. And it's almost like uh, uh, Michael Crichton was actually trying to prove that it could happen, that that takes up maybe more than half the book before even the T-Rex bit happens. So it would have uh, been a lot more uh, stuff dedicated to Jeff Goldblum's character type stuff of chaos. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's another thing. The characters are not like what they are in the film. So mm-hmm. they have the same names and that's about it, but they're completely different. And actually, the way that I thought when I read the book, it's like Ian Malcolm's character in the film is actually Alan Grant in the book mm-hmm. and vice versa. You know, it's 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 yeah. interesting you talk about Jurassic Park because uh, Phil Tippett, who did the special effects stop motion bits for that, uh, I finally watched Mad God. Uh, mm-hmm. last yeah. Last week, that was Phil Tippett's thirty year project to make that movie, all stop motion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll talk about that in another thing if we only have you for an hour. Uh, oh, well, I, I, I can talk about. Yours. I can talk about um, yeah. this movie for about an hour too. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I just find it very interesting. See, last night I watched. Well, two nights ago I watched Lost World, and three. And last night I watched the third Jurassic Park film, which I haven't seen since it first came out. And then I tried today to watch Jurassic World, and what really struck me was the, the amount of puppets and animatronics that are used in those first three movies. Mm-hmm. Give you yeah. so much sort of like. As a as a watcher, you're so hooked in. There's a great shot even in the third film, which I know everyone tastes for a certain reason, but it's actually not as bad as you remember it. And there's a great shot when a pterodactyl turns and faces the two people, and it's like something out of a horror film. And it's all it's all real on the screen. It's an animatronic. It's twelve foot high kind of thing moving. And then you watch Jurassic World, and it's all CGI. Very few of it is like animatronics, and you're like, that's why I'm not as sort of like. A part of my brain is going, this isn't really on the screen. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm just on a, on a dino kick and I'm, it's all in my brain. Yeah. Just I'm upset. Give me two minutes. You guys talk. I'm just going to switch out the mic. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched Jurassic Park in forever. Now you got me to watch it. Well, we, we, my wife and I went to see Dominion. Um, yeah. It's got me on the kick because yeah. uh, I didn't like Dominion very much. Um, have you seen it yet? No. Like, I was excited about it. Then I heard the reviews for it. I'm like, oh, what the hell? Yeah, it, it just feels hollow to me. The more I think about it, the more I think of the fact it has all those stars on the screen and yeah. it has all these dinosaurs in it, That's but it doesn't know what to do with them. Like even uh, the big new, the big new bad guy, the big new dinosaur, what the Gilligamist uh, or something—I'm probably pronouncing yeah. that wrong—they don't yeah. set up the story enough for me for that to be in it. If you know what I mean, to be a, yeah. something like a threat or something to be like frightened of. So it's kind of, and, and that's what it feels like for all the film. It, it feels like there's all these sort of like lack of just there's two and a half hours feels like there's a story in it. <laughs> oh God, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, 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 yeah. Yeah, that sounds better. That's great. Yeah, it sounds um, better. Yeah, it sounds right. better. Yeah. So to wash yeah. the taste out of my mouth, I watched yeah. Jurassic Park, and then um, I I'd always thought to read the book of Lost World because I know the book yeah. of Lost World is very very different from the film, and I asked a friend and he says yes, do it definitely. It's worth doing, and because I had re- initially read Jurassic Park the book and I had my disappointments at the book, not yeah. the film. Um, but Lost World as a book is fantastic. It's just what you want. Like I wanted to read about people, you know, trying to f- survive yeah. dinosaurs, and that's what you okay. get in Lost World. Whereas in the Jurassic Park book, all you get is this massive jargony about like I literally think you could take some of the science in the book and actually put it into practice <laughs> to see if you can make a dinosaur. That's how in depth it goes in to the dinosaur stuff. Nice. Yeah, I've never read the book. I might have to check it out. Mm-hmm. It's just made me wonder why there isn't any more books out there. Like if you Google like books that have fictional books about dinosaurs, yeah. you just get those two and maybe a couple of others that aren't really have a, have a lot of review, like, you know, Arthur Cohen yeah. Doyle from like ages ago. 
And it's just made me think, why is nobody, because people love this concept. They love dinosaurs and they love like us as humans coming in and seeing them. So why aren't more people doing it? And there's a short story uh, anthology that's being run by Kyle Durrett in the UK. And he yeah. wants short stories about dinosaurs. So I'm right one night at the moment. Oh, cool. I was about to say, well, I should take up the mantle then and go ahead and yeah, yeah. <laughs> make a dino book. The light fades with death's cold embrace. You've already been zipped and tagged. Struggle as you might, it will not help. No one can break out of the body bag. Here to oversee the autopsy, your hosts, Chris Thomas and Broke Rider Dave. What's good, everybody, and welcome to Body Bag Podcast. I'm Chris Thomas, and with me as always, Brooke Redder Dave. How are we doing, everybody? It is imperative that every season we have at least one or two of the spooky friends come on the show and talk about what's going on with them. Last time this man was on, he was promoting the I Hear Clattering of the Keys, and now he's putting another book, Montague's Carnival of Delights and Terror. And he is the king of all Stephen King trivia from every pub trivia night from here to Ireland, as well as the one we had here on the show. Welcome to the show, Jamie Stewart. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> we finally were able to hollow out some time. And- <clears throat> yes, yes, yeah. yes. It's very difficult right now. I'm working nine to five and, yeah, you know, cool. the wife and I have just announced that we're having our first child. So I like weekends are precious. I'm yeah. All- Congrats, man. Thank you. Thank you. All excited for that. So we're just sort of like, I'm just doing one podcast a month from now on, just bringing in another potential author into the world. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, maybe. I already have, like, that's the thing. It's a really interesting thing I've been saying to my friends. It's like, um, I am preparing a reading list. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, already of books that, you know, like, because I didn't experience a lot of uh, YA uh, horror fiction when I was a kid, because I didn't get, uh, as you know from the previous conversation, yeah. we had, I got into Stephen King at 13 and that was it. That was my reading journey. So I'm like wanting to to, to read like Goosebumps and Christopher Pike books too. Yeah. <laughs> and that will be my like backward uh, way into experiencing those books. <laughs> Start them out with... Uh... Oh, with um, misery or fire starter or something, just read that in the prison. Yeah, <laughs> something soft. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is coming out. This is going to be our August episode, uh, which is perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> going into the fall type uh, season, bring uh, getting us started will be this episode with Jamie Stewart. Uh, you were working on your academics as well as you were doing the book tour for Clattering of the Keys, and now you're working on this. Like, how how's balancing all of your projects going? Um, it's going really well. It's surprisingly better than what I thought it would. The last time I was speaking to you, you know, um, I've been doing a course for this year, and it finishes in September. And I thought I would I wouldn't get any time to write anything long, uh, long form while I was doing it. But like Montague's Carnival of Delights and Terror, that was written. That you know, there was nothing needed to be done to that other than like spell injects and stuff. Yeah. So all that stuff was set to go for its release there in June. But I ended up um, finding some time and I wrote a novel in five weeks there in April, um, between April and March. And then I've since done a second draft on it uh, this week and sent it to publishers. Whenever we have you guys on, I always have to say that I admire the fact that you guys can just pump out a, a, a novel in just a couple of months. We're still, still working on our, well, I just got a burst of inspiration for the stuff that me and David were working on, but I mean, it's, the, the yeah. bursts of inspiration are far and in between, but when they hit, it's like super intense. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the same for myself, I think, but I had told myself from September, I wouldn't get the chance to really do like write something new yeah. so i had gone until march and then there looked to be like seven weeks where i was going to have like quite light duties so i was like this novel has been kicking around in my head since the summer of 2021 so i thought let's just do it let's get just news that seven weeks but it, like so much so that the, the like the first 10 chapters i knew the sentences in my head i knew how they yeah. began how they ended and stuff so it was literally the first half of that book just poured out of me so it was and then the end of it just was like a race to the end 
Well, Dave actually has some specific questions about the book. I have a couple of side questions, but Dave will uh, go deep into the uh, into Montague. So why don't you go ahead and take that, Dave? Well, it's going to be Montague and also the Price Manor series that you were a part of. Because I think that is a very interesting thing that you guys are all doing. What was like your process getting involved in the Price Manor series? It was just, um, I got added into a group of people that sort of decided to sort of create a group chat for supportive reasons for authors at yeah. sort of a certain level. Uh, and Mike Saltz in it and Haley Newley yeah. and Thomas Bloom and all these people. And um, 14 of us just got together and look, we, we're, we're yeah. working really hard to try and, you know, carve a space for ourselves in this industry. And it can be very sort of frightening doing it by yourself. Oh, yeah. Let's do it together. And then Mike Salt had this idea of like, you know, I'd love to do a series where each individual portion of the series was written by a separate author, you know, maybe like a short story anthology, or maybe then it became a novella series. And then, and six of us raised our hands and said, we'd love to be part of that. And then we became this sort of separate group where we just sort of decided to work on this project and, and people batted around ideas. And they were talking about this idea of like a haunted house that can appear anywhere in human history. And everyone yeah. was like, that's fantastic because everyone wants to write their own haunted house idea. Oh, yeah. And that's enough fuel to do your own, you know, because everyone has their own ideas of what they would do for a haunted house story. Yeah. So why not just use that as a way to do, like have a series? And I was reading um, uh, Hellboy. I had recently, I, I've read all the Hellboy comics, yeah. but the only one I hadn't read was the first one. Yeah. <laughs> And the first one is this haunted house. Well, not a really haunted house deal, but they go to this really creepy looking house on a lake that's actually sinking into a lake. And just the image in that in uh, in that book was just so beautiful and profound and, and capturing. I went to bed that night with it in my head. Yeah. I woke up to all these text messages, all these messages yeah. in Instagram about this thing. And I literally started writing my story then uh, that morning. Um, so mine was ended up being the first one written. Uh, yeah. So it was, and we talked about putting them out in Christmas, but then I was like, because I, I hear the clattering of the keys was coming out in November. I mm-hmm. said, look, I don't feel that would suit myself, my own, you know, if I was, you know, I've just got a book coming out the month before, yeah. I think it would be very distracting. Can we not put it to the new year? Mike had his then written and he went first. And then I came yeah. out with um, my story, the Price Manor of the House That Bleeds. And then Jay Alexander followed with The House That Falls in March. Yeah. And there'll be more coming out. Um, but that's the thing, it's people scheduling, it's people finding yeah. the time to carve out to write these stories. And everyone's very sort of motivated in in the in the group that we are. But we recently added some new members, and the new members are actually ones that are coming out first. So we know okay. that there there's one coming out. There should be Kelly Brocklehurst is going to be the author of the fourth book in the series. Uh, and she'll be coming out at the end of this month, the beginning of yeah. August. That's really cool. I love so, like in the, the yeah. T- sorry, the titles are the house that, and it's from different authors. That's yeah. Cool idea. Yeah. That the house that was my idea, uh, only because I was I had written mine first, and I was and I and I'm sort of the type of person that when I'm writing a project, I really really get excited about it. That I have to tell people. Yeah. That are involved. So I was sort of like working out how I how I was going what I was going to call my story in this group chat and. Eventually, I settled on the house that bleeds because there's a, a particular scene in my book where literally the walls, a fountain of blood comes out of the yeah. walls and, and drowns a character in, in yeah. the book. <laughs> uh, and that was that was inspired by uh, watching Christopher Nolan's Inception. And there's a bit in the beginning where the the, the guy wakes up when the, the, the room floods. And I thought, well, let's make a room flood full of blood. You know, yeah. do this, do they do the elevator bit in The Shining, but have it fill like a three story sized room, you know? Do you really have to fight when you have a winner of an idea not to immediately like, I know this is good, but let me finish it first. I don't want anybody taking this idea. I don't want anybody uh, <sighs> running with it. Um, well, that's the thing, like, because we were all working on this project together and I th- it was early stages and I wanted their input as much as possible because we, you know, even though every story is a standalone story, you can pick anyone up in any order and read them. We try to have little motifs in them that connect. So we're, you know, constantly coming back and forth. You know, I received a couple of messages today talking about yeah. the series from one of the authors that didn't ask and can the new news bits for mine, which I said, yeah, go ahead. That'd be brilliant. 
And uh, so that's sort of like, so we're just constantly going back and forth. I wouldn't say I do that for anything I write, but because we're working on this together and it was such a lovely experience to like, you know, come to people with an idea and be like, is this okay? Does this sound cool? And they're like, that sounds amazing. Go ahead, chop that person's head off. (laughs) Screw that guy, kill him. Yeah, you know, so uh, yeah. Like Michael Goodwin's got one. And his is called The House That Remains. He's working on. And he put a post up yeah. and he says, should I let anyone in my story survive? And he put he put that up on his main page for anyone to vote on. Like, yeah. So that's the kind of like, it's fun as well. It's kind of a collaborative project now for people that are have read the books and are interested in them. And hopefully we can gear up the marketing process for the next ones coming. I can't wait to see the covers because Jay Alexander has done the first three and he plans to do the rest, I think. Right. So, yeah, he did a great job with the covers. Oh, they're beautiful. The I love them. Great. Yeah. It's already gotten the cogs mm-hmm. in my head working. Now I'm starting to think of, of <laughs> talking shop with other yeah. authors and now yeah. I'm starting to kind of think. I know you have like everyone is afraid of oh you know you steal my idea or something like that and that is obviously you know but once you gain a thing of trust with the with people I think it's good because you're get so and I get so enthusiastic yes just chatting to other people about ideas and then I find like today like I started a short story yesterday and now it's 2500 words and that's just because yeah. i'm talking back and forth with the uh, editor on this this uh, dinosaur anthology about it and yeah. it's just because he's coming back and going that sounds brilliant keep going get it written you know so it is good for yeah. your work trying to i think have that person to sort of bounce ideas off and be in in the place to be like keep going the latest one that i've been working on which is going to be part of uh, our anthology was actually uh i think that you guys were I don't know if you were having a contest. It was a while back. Uh, we were taking submissions for like, uh, it was like religious. Yeah, the, the sacrament. That's a con. It's an anthology. Me and Kelly Kelly Brocklehurst are doing for Darklit Press. We just mm-hmm. that ended there. Submissions ended on the first of July for that. Yeah. So that that's we're going through them right now. So when you uh, put that out there, I started thinking. All right, if I, I wonder if I could come up with something mm-hmm. and. Over the course of a month or two, I think I settled on probably one of my better, best ideas that I have for for a story. And the couple of people who I've told it to say that uh, mm-hmm. saying, uh, well, don't tell anybody this because that's a really good idea, uh, which is why I was asking you about it. Hey, you guys bringing that up was the yes. reason why I was uh, I have this idea to begin with. And then I just thought to ask you if you have the same issue when having an idea. Let's get to uh, Montague. Yeah. I'm about maybe like 20 pages in. That's kind of the rough part of knowing a lot of authors. I'm behind on a lot of books, but I'm about 20 pages in. Mm-hmm. What can I expect as I get deeper into this book? Um, you can expect a story that encompasses an entire small American farming community. Um, yeah, that that's where a, I live. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Hopefully it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's reminiscent. Yeah. Um, uh, you can expect a cast of characters. You can expect a mystery that turns and twists that you're perhaps not really going to know until the very end what has happened fully in the story. And you can expect some kick-ass action. Awesome. Um, I'm excited yeah. for it. Real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys get this on Amazon in the description, it says that this was a love letter to movies of the 70s and 80s for you. Uh, were there any in particular that come to mind uh, that were particular oh. love letter? Uh, well, the book, the whole book is dedicated to Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I grew up reading his books uh, and particularly his seventies and eighties ones. Uh, um, and I just fell in love with them. I loved the whole idea of them. So, um, and I know that I've noticed recently that the fiction that's come out in the horror genre seems to be very sort of like, novella and short sort of short shorter length stories and they're all maybe one or two characters and I'm not really finding those big sprawling books that I grew up loving like It or Salem's Lot or Boy's Life um, you know things like that so I wanted to write something that I grew up loving and uh, and many people grew up loving I feel and have my own take on it you know, with the modern sensibilities that we grew up with now. So that's what kind of how uh, Montague came about was the desire to sort of hit that kind of uh, nostalgic feel 
for, for those books. You know, that's actually kind of the same yeah. way with like you had those mini series like The Stand or It. Yeah. Those were like event like movies, like things that people would have to wait for. I mean, yeah. we have Netflix now, which is like you, you just can binge watch an entire yeah. thing, but people would actually have to wait like days or weeks sometimes to get a next installment of something like the next episode of The Stand uh, or the uh, second chapter of It. Yeah. You don't really yeah. see too much of that anymore uh, nowadays, event television like that. No, event television, no. It's almost like it's not even a... Obviously, television wants it to do well, but it's like if it doesn't do well in its first week, they're like, oh, it'll find its audience eventually, like Breaking Bad. Yeah. Like Breaking Bad didn't do particularly well and when it came out, and th then it was over and everyone was like, this season's amazing. This TV show is yeah. like the best TV show ever, but it's already finished and now you've got five seasons to binge. So, yeah, it's all changed. And Montague Carnival is kind of like a wee callback to those big sort of event type blockbuster books yeah. and TV shows that you used to get. And uh, I'm just really proud of it and happy that it seems to work. You know, people that have read it seem to really enjoy it and really love it. So yeah. it's really good. Yeah. So what type of research did you do, you know, being from the UK, but writing about a small like farm town in the US? Um, very little. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very little uh, research was done because I feel like when once you're doing the research, it like slows the whole writing process down. But okay. so I would do my, I did my first draft and then I'd just start, you know, researching through like Google and stuff. But what I found in like TV shows that come out now, like Stranger yeah. Things, for example, it is news and songs directly from the year that the, that the story is set in. Yeah. But as a fan of like music and films, I'm always like listening to music and, and, and watching films that have been made from say a couple of years ago or you know yeah. so in 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 montague there's an album that's always used by one of the characters and it's from t-rex which is you know a british rock band and it came out in like the 1970s but i was just sort of like that that was on a loop while yeah. i wrote the story so i thought it needed to be in it so yeah. why not make this kind of like there because it's it came out like a decade before the book is set but still that's the sort of more that's more accurate uh, idea or yeah. depiction of what people would be listening to and watching especially back then when you think about like t people had tapes and vinyls yeah. and stuff like that they didn't have downloadability they didn't know instantly that something was released so you maybe a couple of years would go by before you find something so the fact yeah. that i put this album that's like a decade old yeah of course somebody might know it in america now but they probably wouldn't know it in the time it was released so that's sort of the research i was doing on things like that Okay, that's pretty awesome. The, one of the reasons I wanted to write about that was um, because that period of time lends you a kind of isolation. We don't have smartphones. And there's a section in the story that you'll eventually get to where they need to make a phone call to the police and they're nowhere yeah. near a landline. And they ha one of the characters has to run a mile to get to the nearest house uh, which I was sort of like, this is, is you know, that adds an extra level of tension because then I you're forgot. able to go like, you mentioned you know, before, the, your disdain for cell yeah. phones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's yeah, I do have a disdain. And I don't know if it's a disdain anymore. I've changed my mind on them, but I do think, uh, especially after reading Jurassic World or The Lost World, it has some interesting ideas about the evolution of humankind yeah. and about technology. I'm excited to really get into it and finish this book, man. Good. Well, you're only 20 pages in. You're only yeah. start. I do have a quick side question, not necessarily yeah. about Montague, but about just writing in general. Mm -hmm. So Joe Cage and Lily Gray are both uh, names that are in this book. Yeah. How much thought do you actually put into naming your characters? Have you ever like completed a story and then changed the names last minute because you're like, ah, no, I don't want that. Because I'm very indecisive and even to the point of coming up with character names. Yeah. L Lily Gray was originally called Lily Grayson and her whole family were the Grayson family because of a character in Joe Hill's um, The Fireman. Uh, her last name is Grayson and I love that name and I thought it was a fantastic name. And it wasn't until March of this year that I realized I have a character called Jackson mm. and I have a character called yeah. Grayson and I needed to change one of them. So, you know, I, I don't really have 
like I don't put, I feel like one of the things that I really struggle with is to name characters and to name characters in a way like it's just sort of so every time I like sort of so in that beginning page that beginning process of writing some a story I am always sort of like oh I don't really know if I like the names of who I'm picking but I just pick it anyway to get to the story written as I say because it's just all about getting that first draft down and then you can then you can work those wee tiny things out like naming a character but like Joe, Joe was always going to be called Joe Cage because one, I'm a big fan of Joe Hill. It's a nod to him. I also have a, one of my best friends called Joe. And I like the idea of Cage on the end because Joe is sort of throughout the novel, you'll find is in a prison of his own making mentally, uh, even though he is left sort of, he is fleeing from a certain sort of type of hell, mm. even though he's left that behind, he's in a prison of his own making in his head for from it. Also, why I asked about yeah. that is just because uh, our our movie review uh, is The World's End and uh, doing some more further research into it, Edgar Wright likes naming his characters in that movie to also reflect kind of what's going on in the movie. Yeah. I didn't know if yeah. you do something similar. Like, yeah. it's a throwback to, like, Stephen <laughs> King's son's name or daughter's name or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sometimes, sometimes Montague, Montague's is, is like that novel was written in 2020 and, you know, like, uh, and so that has been complete for a long, long time with me adding things and, you know, rewriting things or just tidying things up. So it allows you to have those kind of thoughts, you know, to think about, well, we could put this in here and, you know, be a connection to them because they're like there's a bit in it there's a character there's a character in a Carrie novel who's uh, Chris Harkinson who's uh, who's the who's the one that leads the 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 throwing of the tampons at Carrie she's the the yeah. school bully the female bully and I knew her last name in Montague to to be at, to end connection with another bully who is like a walk on part and it's just things like that that I would do yeah yeah that's anything uh, anything more that that's my questions by the way yeah no, we could move on to the movie. Well, before we yeah. do that, um, Montague's Carnival of Delights and Terror, where can they get that? Is it uh, Amazon, correct? It's all available on Amazon. It's an ebook, it's in paperback, and it has it has a hardback as well. And I did a kind of king thing with the hardback in that the hardback is an inverted color scheme to the paperback. So the okay. paperback is a red background with white lettering. And then the hardback is a white background with red lettering, and it's kind of a callback to the Insomnia uh, cover they did, where they had that sort of same kind of motif. And people be on the lookout because that's going to be part of our prize giveaway later on this season. So keep an eye out for it, everybody. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's let's get into some more Edgar Wright stuff here. I feel like we should be having pints with this. Yeah, oh, right? One for each. I mean, I got Dr. Pepper, but I'm very it's only I'm Nick 1245 here. right now. I'm drinking water. <laughs> um, and uh, we're doing it a little oh, yeah. bit differently than how we did um, our Shaun of the Dead. We're just going to go ahead and skip over like the trying to recap the entire movie as if we're saying the synopsis to people. If you're listening to our reviews, we're going to assume that you've seen these movies. And if you haven't, uh, yeah, here's a quick one or two sentence. If you're wondering what The World's End is about, uh, five friends compete in a pub crawl in New Haven, and that's it. Very tame, very heavy dialogue movie, no real action, you know, a real coming-of-age story. Um, <laughs> um, and it yeah. has robots and aliens and... And stuff in it. If you know it, then you know everything I just said is BS. Well, not really, but there's so much more to it. It's Edgar Wright. It's Shaun of the Dead creator. So you know it's going to have... Has aliens and smashy, smashy Eggman and stuff like that. Yeah, smashy, smashy Eggman. (laughs) Um, This is kind of like the thing for me. It's the least... uh, Out of the three, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and At World's End, this is the one that I've watched the least, but it's probably my favorite of the three. It's the same way when I watch The Thing. Uh, the Thing's my favorite creature feature movie, but I watch it the least amount as opposed to like other like horror movies every year. It's just I, I like to I like to have a little bit of time pass so I can feel yeah. feel a little bit intense. Yeah, you experience those the thrills. You don't know what's coming all the time. I yeah. think it's great. 
I will say I have watched this film a lot because it's like my comfort film. It's like my rainy day film. It's my yeah. sort of like afternoon by myself. And it for me, the reason why I love it is because it came out in a time in my life when I had a group of friends that would do the pub crawls that they would do. Yeah. So we used to start it in our house. We'd put this film on. We'd have a drinking competition with this film. So whenever they took a pint or we had to take a shot. Yeah. And then we would go out and do our own pub crawl. And so it's sort of like any time I put it on, I just reminisce about my friends that I, I, I used to live with in Scotland. That's exactly why I yeah. don't watch it as much because it just makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> like it, I don't want to reminisce on the good old days. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the thing. It is like there is a good emotional core to this film. You know, as yeah. much as we say it's got aliens and sort of like, you know, it's Edgar about Wright five really friends getting drugged. Yeah. Yeah. He just pulls on your heartstring. Yeah. He really knows how to. He's become like my top three like dialogue uh, movie makers. Yeah, yeah. A lot and a lot of the stuff that he has in there is very funny, but a lot of the dialogue is very quick sometimes. So that you have to be like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> that was a reference to something. That was said a, a, yeah, a, like yeah. thirty minutes. And ago. it all it all yeah. relates. It's very I you know as someone who writes himself, I can't understand how every single bit of dialogue has an effect or you know has an impact later on or is you know is is there's a there is you know it's not like you know the film you could probably compare it to is the hangover but this film there is a history with the five characters in it and the history together and even though maybe you've only seen like a a fast forward through that history when they say something and they react you get a sense that these people have lived a life together and gone through some shit you know and um, these Edgar Wright movies are really good at a, like I said, making references to scenes that we saw at the very beginning, yeah. but now redone in a way that fits the scene and tone now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even something as uh, <laughs> he, he loves his his very quick zoom in shots. Uh, just even yeah. something as simple as them like filling up the shot glasses, one, yeah. two, three, four, and then just one water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then eventually it, it's um, all right. I'm going to ask you guys real quick. See if y'all remember, since I was talking about names earlier, do you guys first off remember all 12 of the pub names? I probably do, but probably would be able to do them in order. All right. That's fine. I got them listed right here. So yeah, uh, name off the top of your head, all of the uh, off the top of my head. We'll go world's end first. That's a big one. That's an easy one. Yeah. There's the king's head. There's a hole in the wall. There's the old familiar, there's the cross hands, there's the mermaid, the beehive, um, uh, the is it the cock, the famous cock? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's what that's what how many to get. That's as you far as eight. I can get. Um, <laughs> in order, it goes the first post, the old familiar, <laughs> the famous cock, the cross hands, the good companions, the trusty servant, the two headed dog, the mermaid, the beehive, the king's head, the hole in the wall, and the world's end. <laughs> And apparently each and every single one of them has a reason why it's named that way. Because it has yeah. to do with what's yeah. going on in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, we, I mean, we don't have, like, any, like, real, like, pubs over here like that with cool names like the King's Head or the Good Companions or anything like that. Um, I got O's Tap and Jack and Diane's. Um, <laughs> That's what's in my town. So, so like the first post, obviously it's the first of the of the day or the first yeah. pub crawl. The old mm-hmm. familiar, that's the introduction of when Sam comes in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The famous cock. And also the pub is literally the same pub. Yes, <laughs> the interior the is literally the same design. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, famous cock was supposed to be Gary King. He's a famous dick, a famous cock, and he got yeah. he was famous and got kicked out of the place. Crossed hands yeah. is where they started working together as a team. The good companions, they're even more uh, camaraderie in that. Trusty yeah. servant, that's when we see the weed dealer, the drug dealer, who gives us yeah. a, uh, some information on what's going on. The, uh, yeah. the two-headed dog, we see the marmalade sandwich. Yeah. yeah. Um, the mermaid is where they uh, start getting seduced, very much like how mermaids did to old sailors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you have the beehive, the king's head, where we get introduced to uh, Pierce Bronson. I, I forget what Pierce Bronson. Yeah, is. yeah. Uh, the hole in the wall, and then of course the world's end, which is you know the end of the world. I just think yeah. that is just so cool. You have twelve different names of twelve different pubs, and each and every one of them means something to the story, and that is so yes. cool. Yeah, 
It is so clever. And I think it's really underdone or like it's considered like the weaker of the of the three out of the whole film series. And I think it's probably because it takes a little longer to set up what's happening in the yeah. story. Yeah, that's the cool um, thing about. I, just, I love all of it. If you do any, yeah. if you've not seen any trailers for any of the the top three Edgar Wright movies, and you just went into it without knowing anything about it, you would watch the first ten minutes and think, "All right, this these this movie isn't really anything special." No, Shaun of the Dead. All right, it's about a slacker. Uh, Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Okay, it's about a guy who's going to, you know, he's a big time police officer going to a small town. Is he gonna have to yeah. like? come to grips yeah. with that and this one's a guy trying to reclaim his lost youth yeah and but once after that 10 minute mark goes by and, and things start kind of kicking in then it yeah. start fighting robots <laughs> and you start fighting robots or zombies or yeah. a culty town it's it's yeah. part that, of me I, I, always... that I didn't know trailers for this that way i could just come into these things without like expecting like there was yeah. gonna be something going on mm-hmm I, what I like, I love, I love, like, one of my favorite story tropes is the body snatchers trope. This idea yeah. of, like, you're in a town or you're in a place that you know and now it's slightly different and there's this weirdness. And it's really interesting to watch because you as a viewer are able to go to this town and notice, you know, like, the people staring at them. But yeah. they're so drunk as characters by this point that they don't even notice that there's something going wrong. And it's just sort yeah. of this delightful kind of... Slow, like, yeah. like Nick Frost is slowly becoming like just fine with the situation like fine. yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna complete the it used to be like no i hate this i'm only doing it yeah. because we have no other uh, options to i'm just kind of going with the flow now uh, yeah. yeah fuck it let's do it is what he said yeah. yeah. he was <laughs> sick like six drinks and five shots deep at that point so yeah yeah um, he's, right. i really love him in this film because oh, you know like yeah both the two kind of characters he played before ed and uh, Danny were kind of like the the dumb sidekick, the kind of like you know yeah, the, the, idiot the, the uh, yeah. responsible, like uh, I you know forward thinking, uh, you know trying to figure out the situation kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah like he is the leader, and it's more like like the character of Gary King, who's the main character, isn't really a leader. He's more actually the the uh, uh, a detriment to, to the group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're just sort of always trying to pull him out of the mess that they he gets them into. Yeah, which thing. is a good juxtaposition that he's he considers himself like the king of the group, but he's actually the lowest on their totem pole in terms yeah. of they just feel sorry for him. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a brilliantly like there's wee bits in it where like there's a bit in the beehive where Gary King and Peter are sitting beside each other. And they have to call their old school teacher by his first name for the first time. Guy, yeah, yeah, guy. guy. And um, and they're forty year old men, and they break out into a fit of giggles, which just is like just like they're kids again. And it, yeah. every single time I see that, that just makes me laugh my head off. And, you know, it's really well acted this film, and I kind of like all all five of the people that you know are cast. Mm-hmm. I think are really really great. Like Martin Freeman is as, yeah. as the sort of like. Uh, show offy Bluetooth, uh, you know, Bluetooth earphone guy. That's yeah. awesome. I yeah. was kind of bummed out that he was the first to, to get got, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm bummed out every time. Like, you know, I, I was really annoyed that Peter died because I really liked him. Yeah. I see these friends uh, who are now <laughs> starting to like, get back to liking each other and starting to kind of reclaim their youth, get taken over by alien robots. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I. Oh, go ahead. No, oh, no, no, no. Finish, finish your thought. Yeah. I, I love the whole sort of like the enemy in this, the robotic enemy is sort of like, oh, we're doing this for your betterment. We're not really evil. We're not taking over your world to be like kill everyone and dominate. Yeah. We're just trying to make you better. But in order to do that, we have to kill a couple of you. You know, yeah. uh, that, that's the that's the uh, mentality of every conquering like nation yeah. on Earth. It just... Yeah. We're it's not like you yeah it's not like they're monologuing in this way that they know they're the bad guy and they're loving yeah. it it's just they're like oh no we're here for your betterment yeah well that's what's a, <laughs> that's what makes a good uh villain too ones that actually think that they're what they are doing is right yeah, yeah. absolutely well, that's also part of like my favorite bit of the movie when they're like well what happens to the replacements i told you not to ask <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> So you said that this is, oh, I, I kind of agree too that when you ask people, this is like the not as popular as something like Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead, but yeah, um, mm-hmm. 
even out of all three of those movies, um, the thing um, I get the most emotion from that ending bit when he's in the last pub, the world's end. So, and that's, he's, I think like, I think it's really overlooked this role and this film for multiple different things, but Simon Pegg in this film is acting his ass off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he is a fantastic, you know, you have to like, you have to think he is being funny, but at the same time, that character is only using that humor to mask the, the amount of hurt yes, and the amount yeah. of anguish that they're going through in the film. And it's just so well done and so well acted from that point of view. I, I, I stand by he deserved an Oscar for this film uh, or some that, sort of award. That, it that one line that he says when he's when uh, Nick Frost asks him, why is he doing this? And he says, that's all I've got. Yeah, uh, that just hits me. I was like, man, that's yeah. like it's, it's like he he feels like there's nothing in his life worth like like living for. Living for like, it. Yeah. yeah, and uh, he was he was a person that was so in the present when he was a teenager, but then the idea of not being that person anymore, not being a teenager and having the freedom that a teenager yeah. has, has made him sort of regress. And while everyone else has gone off and had like valuable lives, he just has this one thing in memory. And yeah. it's it's so like wrenching and sort of like we know people like that and probably yeah. ourselves like even I can sympathize yeah. with that because I'm a person who's always very reminiscent of the the past and the the friendship groups I used to have. I'm when sure I was we've all at yeah. some point or another you know thought back to the good old days and then just think, man, what happened? Yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And he just embodies that so well, and he's so torn as a person. Um, that's no, it's great. I might have to do some because he was in um he he was in a hospital for was it addiction or something uh yeah he I think like he depression right yeah I might have and to we, see I if, think he tried to kill him so there's a bit where they reveal his his wrists and his wrists are bandaged yeah that's yeah, the first time you ever seen it I think it, yeah. he tried to uh, commit suicide is basically the suggestion I might have to see if in, there's any yeah. deeper meaning to there being uh. 12 pubs and it's 12 pubs right there's 10 well, there is a 12 it's a, i'll call the anonymous so i think for him it's like because the the uh, the beginning of the film says they didn't do the golden mile they almost completed it but they didn't do the end they didn't actually do the 12 pubs yeah. and he i think there's sort of the suggestion in his mind that if he actually completes the 12 pubs he, he can, can do what his friends yeah. have and move on yeah. It's like you get the sense that he's probably never completed anything in his life, and yeah, uh, whether it probably be school or or uh, working or anything like that. Then if he yeah he needs some kind of validation to say that he's completed something in his life, which which makes this film sound so deep. Yeah. Yet at the same time, it's so hilariously funny. Like we're probably making this sound like gender list to anyone yeah. who's listening that hasn't seen it, but it is really funny at the same time. It, it has it has like yeah. if you've seen Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz, I mean, it has a lot of that humor. It's it's a lot of funny, but the deep parts usually come in. It usually gets deeper closer towards the end as yeah these movies go along, and but it is definitely really really funny. Um, and again, yeah, it like, has a lot of that quick. Yeah. A lot of the dialogue is very quick, and sometimes yeah. you feel like Nick Frost and that Gary uh, keeps yeah. saying stuff and not understanding how dumb he sounds, and, and Nick Frost is like, "Jesus Christ!" Yeah, <laughs> there, there's a bit. There, there is we sort of like subtle kind of dep- like touching moments where like your guy Peter talks about how he was bullied and like he had broken like the guy that bullied him broke his eye socket. Yeah, and then it just changes when, like, like one second later, guys like shots, yeah. and he throws yeah. this thing shots down on the table, and it's like really, really heartfelt. And so yeah. you you get a sense that there is this, but then he 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 retorts that was it. He says something like having a, a you know something about you know it can str- uh, struggling to deal with emotional stuff in your past and oh yeah, he, he, he deeply yeah. deconstructed. <laughs> And which, he deconstructs he, himself. Which, when yeah. you find out that at the end uh, that he's been in like a hospital, you realize, oh, he probably heard the. That's probably something he picked up inside of yeah. the clinic that yeah. they said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, <laughs> I, I have the the, the movie play. I have a thing now that when we review these movies, I have it actually playing on in the background right now. <laughs> Nick just ripped his shirt off and said, "I hate this fucking town." <laughs> I yeah. love that. I love that. Oh. 
that, that is one of my favorite bits. There's so many bits in it that I, I like. I just think of as glorious, and he is really good in that film for you know when he lets loose. Yeah. And that's another thing. Like the fight choreography in this film is insane. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it was done. One of the, the I heard recently the, the choreographer who did this film. He he trained under Jackie Chan. He recently passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did. Um, but like all the stunts, all the fighting that happens in the bathroom. With There's the always five. something going on. You can see glimpses oh, yeah. going on in the background. Somebody having their own fight, which. Uh, incorporates yeah. into another person's fight that that's happening and mm-hmm. they're like tripping over each other but you kind of stick with one character as they're like seeing mm-hmm. every, everybody else's fight which is so cool yeah yeah it's, i thought like, that uh bathroom scene the the entire scene was pretty hilarious for yeah. the get going gary's just sitting there pissed and talking to a guy I'm like that'd be such an awkward situation to be in yeah. To be a younger guy sitting in the bathroom, just having an older guy pissing and talk to you. <laughs> yeah, you know, Eckert Wright does something really cool that not a lot of uh, filmmakers can do, and that uh, the action scenes have a lot of quick shots and so it's very fast, but I can still tell what's going on. A lot of yeah. uh, yes. cinematographers yeah. can't do that, and think they they rely too much on quick cuts and shaking camera that during an action scene you can only tell that action is happening but you can't necessarily tell who's being hit who's throwing the punches yeah but here it's very quick a lot of zoom in shots and zoom out shots but i can tell who's fighting who's doing what and what's happening which i think is that is not an easy thing to do no i don't think he uses i I do like he does use a lot of quick shots but i would say that it's always steady cam like yeah. the camera is always steady you're always aware of who you're focusing on for that reason like it's not doesn't do the jason Bourne thing where you're like what is going on you know yeah sort of thing where it's it's yeah it does have a lot of quick edits on it but it's at the same time you're like yeah like you said you're aware of who is throwing the punches and in the middle of it and like there's so many stop. action films out there i'm sorry like, so you go ahead I was saying, and like in the middle of all of the quick uh you know back and forth he'll stop like suddenly and kind of linger on somebody's expression or somebody uh, like looking yeah. around, like what's uh, yeah. trying to take in what's going on around them and then continue back to the, uh, yeah. back to the action. There's one thing I love about this film is like each action action sequence is just as good, if not better than the previous one. And there's so many action films that are out there, like are literally their, their premise is an action film and their fight scenes are crap, but this yeah. like excels in the fact that it just provides you with so many like, you start with that fight in the in the toilet between like yeah. the five main characters and these five sort of hoodie characters, yeah. and then it cuts to them literally fighting the entire time, yeah. um, and you know, and it it all works and it's all really well done and it's sort of just it it's he's just he's one of a kind, you know, and great. I, I you know you said he's your third favorite. I'd say he'd be up there with maybe my first, you know. I, I think everything he does he's is in my really top really three, unique. So they're interchangeable. Yeah, yeah he's up there. Mm-hmm. Um, Edgar, I did the uh, oh, off the top of my head, I can't remember that Tom Cruise movie. Um, about uh, no, did, did he do that one? Um, Which one? Uh, it was with Tom Cruise where he was fighting, they were fighting alien monsters, and then uh, every time he died, it would reset. It was called Live oh, no, the End of Tomorrow, Edge that? of Tomorrow, Edge of Which Tomorrow, had, like three different titles. Yeah, did yeah, he do that one? no, that was Doug Lyman. No, I don't know why. For some reason, he's only done. He's only done the Cornetto trilogy. He's done Scott Pilgrim. He did Baby Driver, yeah. and then he did the what was Last the one? Night that he did? That's it. That's it. There. That's it. Yeah. I think Baby Driver is the only one I hadn't seen yet. Oh, aware. it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Like it is. Oh, you're in such for a treat. Well, I mean, it's Edgar Wright, so of course it's gonna be fantastic. Um, I always I find think... it interesting when like Edgar Wright has different films. When he does films with Nick Frost and Simon yeah. Pegg. The comedy is so right there in the forefront, but when he does films by himself, there isn't as much of that. There isn't that comedic kind of. Uh, it's there, and some yeah. that for me, like when I went to see Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, mm-hmm. uh, I find that quite jarring. I didn't really like it the first time I watched it. Now really? I love it. It's a great film. Yeah, but I was just because it went there. You know, I'd seen Shaun of the Dead. I'd seen Hot Fuzz. I wanted to see more of the same. And then saw you know it's a completely different set of humor. So different, yeah. You know, Tennyson, and it's so ahead of its time. Oh, definitely. Last night, Soho made um, your uh, top one, didn't it? For uh, 
what was it uh female characters that we did our oh yeah characters. female villainesses yeah yeah sandy from it yeah sandy yeah, yeah. made your top uh in your yeah. top 10 she's the number one yeah that was a that was a good i think one. that's a good one is i yeah. i he consistently puts out good movies um yeah to, to the point where yeah. marvel uh wanted him uh they used him for ant-man he did the he was a writer for ant-man didn't direct it he wrote it he was going to do yeah but he didn't want to be connected he wanted to do like his own like separate universe kind of ant-man film i think and they were yeah. like no it has to be all connected and yeah all that stuff you know but he was working on it for like 10 years Oh, and I think wow. he developed like the technology. You know, when you see him shrinking down, he had all that storyboarded, like how you would see him shrink, shrunk, yeah, and stuff like that. And and so he developed a lot of that stuff, which is why I kind of like wish Ant Man had been his. Because yeah. although I like the film, I feel that Ant Man film's a bit too montagey, and you know, I would like to see how he would have done it. Yeah, uh, but you know what? I kind of like. Um... Sometimes I think, you know, when when good filmmakers get into like the whole Marvel or big uh, budget thing, I think then they're subject to way too many studio notes. Yeah, uh, that they can't just be what they want to do, do what they want to do, be what they want to be. So, yeah, um, he's still putting out stuff, uh, good stuff like Last Night in Soho and, and things like yeah. that. So I'm glad that he's still consistently putting out like good and enjoyable movies. Yeah, I just think it gets lost sometimes if you like have a big studio that has to worry about like what you do or don't put in your work. For their- yeah, and I think yeah. like the world's end. I remember seeing like they the all three of them, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, and Egg Fry, they raised the budget themselves for it, and yeah. it's only like a twenty-two million dollar film. Like that's how much it costs to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would, I would be really, you know, which is surprising considering the amount of special effects and stuff in yeah. it at work. Um, so the two as a film, and like I think, was it Baby Driver? Yeah, he took a pay cut to get like one of the songs to be used in the film and stuff like that. And stuff. so he's all they're always really, he's always like invests in his films. That's how, how yeah. I would kind of feel about uh, like Taika Watiti. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I had this thought, I went and saw uh, the last Thor movie yesterday. So did okay. I. Uh, uh, do you like? It? I haven't seen it yet. Well, we won't spoil. <laughs> All right, no spoilers, or if so, I'll cut it out. But he's really big in the MCU right now, doing Thor and all those projects. But I think his best movies are the ones that don't have major studio backing like that. Like his very what like, we do in the shadows, what we do in the shadows, or even like yeah. Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Um, I I think that. When you have to raise the money yourself, you ha- you can feel the investment, not only monetarily, but your own personal f- emotional investment into the project that yeah. you're making. Yeah. Yeah. I think it gives you a creative freedom to a certain extent mm-hmm. to do what you want. Yeah. And, and it's oddly those films that will be remembered more so with much more sort of reverence. Mm-hmm. than like you know i'm i like the marvel stuff i'm a marvel movie fan and i went to yeah. see thor when it came out on the day it came out mm-hmm. but at the same time i'm like nothing compares to like the world's end like that doesn't yeah. like nothing the imcu yeah. have done equates to like we've talked about Jurassic park but i mean the yeah. films that i really love and stuff these because if you think about even Jurassic park when it was made that was what 60 million dollars um, I could tell you in a minute. Uh, uh, make your point, and I'll tell you how much yeah. exactly. Yeah, like it's a sixty million dollar film. It probably wasn't expected to do as well as it did. It made like a billion on its own yeah. in that franchise, and um, and it was probably like laughed at. You're going to make dinosaurs walk. It's going to look so sort of like you know outdated, and you won't be able to do yeah. the technology. And yet we're given a film that because of that, it, it was allowed to do what it wanted, and uh, it yeah. became like this massive you know cultural kind of success which yeah. they haven't been able to replicate because ever since yeah. then they've had studios coming in going, you need to do this, that, and the other yeah. thing. Jurassic Park, I just remember being everywhere. Just yeah. you know, on uh, you know, on uh, you know, the toys, on McDonald's Happy Meals. It was yeah. every everybody wanted oh, and by the way, it was sixty three million, so you were pretty much right, sixty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um which and- like if that was made, what was it like it was like three hundred million to make Jurassic World Dom- Dominion? <laughs> yeah and, and it was still can't it's but plus you also got to figure at the time when animation was relatively new and trying to blend animatronics and cg and 
yeah. all that. It's yeah. it's really hard to capture a phenomenon. Um, yeah. Just just like uh, with Dark Knight, ever since you know, after Dark Knight, everybody wanted to be like Heath Ledger. Every Joker had to be like compared to Heath Ledger, or yeah, the Dark or Knight like series. every villain had to be like that in some yeah. ways and stuff like that. And, yeah, that, yeah, and uh, it's instead of it's replicating like, it, I, just I would I think it'd just be better to just have it as a time capsule and yeah, have, yeah. Uh, yeah, and not saying like the world end obviously hasn't taken off in the same way that those films have like they've become massive like big successes, but I, I also feel like they're they're they those films were began as passion projects and and had the you know the, when you've got Steven Spielberg behind your film he he's basically saying I'm making what I want to make and nobody yeah. gives me notes. And then when it comes to, all right, but we're now increasing your budget to yeah. be this big film, you have to take our notes because we have to see mm-hmm. this because we know that this makes money and then it doesn't yeah. make anything. Uh, so, yeah, and sa- sadly, I feel like films like this are not being mailed, you know, because with, especially since COVID and stuff, it feels like the only films that come out in the cinema are these massive, big blockbusters that make a billion dollars. Yeah. And then the rest of the stuff is sort of stuck in streaming whether it's good or bad you don't really know yeah yeah that's a that's definitely t- with things like netflix and streaming uh services yeah. now is it even worth it to well i was gonna say put in like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars when we, when you have all these other options like on like netflix yeah. or or something like that yeah i was i was thinking just today i was driving around the time with my wife and i was just saying if i met colin trevorrow direct Jurassic World I would have loved to ask how much would it cost to make like you know um the Indominus Rex in the way that they made the T-Rex in the first Jurassic Park would it be cheaper to make and have an animatronic or is the CGI actually cheaper just for the sake of is it done is CGI now cheaper to make than the actual puppeteer and the animatronics because I do think that uh, filmed correctly the animatronics look better and pull you into the film better um it gives the actors something to actually touch and react to. Exactly. Yeah. Touch or react to a green screen. Yeah. Whereas, like, the velociraptors in, I think, the entirety of Jurassic World, the only time they're not CGI is when their heads are poking through, like, a wall and it's only just a head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they want to capture the nostalgia of Jurassic Park, go and do the animatronics. Because if, if, if you're the animatronics is definitely one of the staples of what made the uh the first Jurassic Park great try, either if you all right let me try to get my words right if you are truly trying to capture that nostalgic feel go full 100% with it and yeah. and yeah. if not then don't call it Jurassic Park and just try to come up with something new without capturing the uh nostalgia the nostalgia yeah. i mean it's yeah. a studio. Not capture, but market so and nostalgia. Yeah. So somehow managed to get back to Jurassic Park again. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, a part of me thought that we were going to eventually end up back over here. Um, yeah. I, I Since don't, you're I don't on your dino kick. Yeah. I'm, I'll have to map out exactly how we went from what to what to what to, to Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's just, it's in my brain. It's on my brain. It's on the yeah. top of my brain. I feel, you know, at the moment in time. I don't know it why. It happened so organically. Yeah. I can't remember <laughs> what we, <laughs> how we got here. Uh, but we can yeah. we can go ahead and uh, like uh, wrap up the um, the world in review here since uh, yeah. we talked about. Well, for me, it's ten, it's a ten out of ten film. It's something I watch. It's my probably my second favorite film of all time, uh, and only because the first is Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and but it's just I just love it. I think it's fantastic. It's well acted. Uh, you know, it's really hilarious. It's got a lot of heart. It's got great action. What more do you want? Uh, Dave, you want to go ahead and rate it then? So uh, he gives it, <laughs> Jamie Stewart gives it a 10 out of 10. I'd probably put it at like a. Uh, you can use whatever scale you want. I'm going to use my goofy uh, 30 point scale. Yeah. I'll give it like a 27. 27 out of 30? Yeah. Um, That's about where I was going to be at 27, 28 yeah, yeah. out of 30. So it's, that means it it's is a, a top tier good movie. Yeah. So. Uh, on my goofy little scale of, uh, you know, tw- uh, zero to 10 is a bad movie. 10 to 20 is an okay movie. 20 to 30 is a great movie. So 
You can yeah. be a good movie and be like a 21 and be like, I don't really like it, but I know it's a good movie. But if you're at something like this, a 27, 28, that means it is not only a well-made movie, but I very it, much enjoy it. Yeah. Because you can have a well-made piece of garbage, and uh, yeah. but you still have to be like, well, I mean, it was. I can't deny that it looks good. Um, yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, so. <laughs> when you come back on the show, if you decide to come back, are we gonna do hot fuzz <laughs> or are we gonna do <laughs> hot uh, fuzz? Only one that's left. Yeah, we could take certainly. That, that one's my favorite of those three. Uh, well, we already did mm-hmm. last night in yeah. Soho. Um, yeah. That was with Brianna Morgan. But yeah, um, uh, that's that, fine. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, <laughs> nobody says that we can't talk about the mo- uh, the same movie twice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, no. Hot Fuzz is Hot Fuzz sits me great. That's fantastic. Hot Fuzz, yeah. I think, was the best film that came out in 2007. Yeah, <laughs> when it did. Hot Fuzz was uh, the movie that I went to try to sneak yeah. into theaters, but I think I was like 16 when it came out. And yeah, I had seen you, you, it before. When it, when I saw, I remember telling you when I saw Shaun of the Dead, I took my dad to see it, mm-hmm. um, and it was like one of the films, the first films, like I was recommending to him, but because yeah. of the age of group of the film, he had to take me because in order for me to get in, because it was yeah. you know higher than my age, uh, and anyway, but when Hot Fuzz came about. I had like talked so much in my friendship group about how good Shaun of the Dead was that I had like everyone over to watch at my house. So when Hot Fuzz came out, it was then like time I was older and I was now taking all my friends to see this film <laughs> by the same guy. You know, this yeah. is going to be a good sort of thing. And Not you sort of were like sitting there going, I hope this is good. Because like with comedy films, there doesn't tend to be like any sequels or anything yeah. like it's as good as the next one and even though hot fuzz isn't a sequel or anything like that it's a completely different film but there's always that sort of like will it live up to the expectation of like yeah, the fact yeah. that i feel like all three have really done like all three are even equally at the same level as each other in terms of comedy and stuff like yeah. that next time you come by we're gonna have to watch the movie the invisible because that was the movie that i had to end up watching when i got caught trying to sneak into hot fuzz by buying a ticket to a different movie and trying to find out where it was playing inside the theater and then they caught well, how about me and david review hot fuzz and you just keep reviewing invisible at the oh, same yeah. time like, well you know while you guys were having fun with simon Pegg and nick frost let me tell you about this uh uh this story about this guy who who fell in love with this woman who tried to find his unconscious body somewhere it was, which sounds interesting it wasn't <laughs> it was like a young it was like a a young adult novel version of a uh, ghost right. but if ghost was made yeah. at, for the ya audience it yeah. does sound like if a title like invisible it does sound like it's trying to go for the ghost audience yeah was that a big audience back in the day i knew it was a big film but like you know, talk about sequels. We can't make a sequel to Ghost because Patrick says he can't die again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know, I think if I'm not mistaken, it <laughs> it was the main star was the guy who would eventually go on to play Goku in the Dragon Ball Z live animated movie. Oh, I never um, watched that. But I heard terrible things. I, I, I've <laughs> seen increments of it. Um, if we want to watch a horror movie, maybe we can watch that one. I mean, because that one was god awful. Um, yeah. Or if you want to watch Jurassic Park three, yeah. Park three think... We could always do that too. Hey, maybe that. Since hopefully next time you'll be on, you'll be in a dinosaur mood still. And we yeah. Can talk yeah. About, yeah. Right? No, because I watched that. Can yeah. I say that that's actually not a bad film? I I think the I only like bad it. thing of the only bad thing I think is is that it it's ending it's kind of weak and maybe because they didn't maybe have the budget to give like a big big you know big scope ending but i think it's yeah. great i like the yeah. jurassic park stuff the first three but dave will tell you the one aspect i don't like about them the kids yeah i i don't yeah. think i think that i don't know why each one of them has to have kids in it i think it would be so i think it's yeah if you had i think it's because they have that that first film and they're just like we have to replicate the formula of this yeah and if you have kids in it it gets kids into the seats so it can be a family film but i actually remember i was like last night is the first time i'd seen that film since the cinema because it scared me so much as a kid that terrified me more than any of them out of all the three that was just frightening me to death when i went to see it in the screen yeah i don't think i've seen it since i went to a drive-in theater to see it when i was a kid 
when I make the poster to promote this episode, it's going to be uh, <laughs> like uh, the world's in with Jamie Stewart, but it's going to have the Jurassic Park uh, logo in the background. <laughs> it'll, it'll be the Jurassic Park movie poster in the background, yeah. but it's going to be the world's Park in. With a pint yeah. with a Jurassic with a Park pint, with a pint. a little pint. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that, I, I'm going to intertwine those two. Sounds great. Um, but hey, thanks mm-hmm. for not only recommending a good movie to us because we often review bad movies, but yeah. we love it when a good movie comes our way. And um, definitely, and I needed cool. to definitely be reminded how good of a movie this was. Yeah. And uh, thanks for hollowing out some time. Hopefully, closer to October, we can get uh, you, uh, maybe Haley, maybe Thomas and Spencer all together for. Uh, Oh, so I can kick their ass another Stephen King quiz? No, it's not. I don't <laughs> think we're going to do another Stephen King one, but I, what I would like to do, if it's closer to Halloween time, talk about uh, either black and white and early color horror movies or yeah. just uh, your first horror movie experiences. Sounds yeah. good. That's sounds great. Stuff. But we'll let yeah. you go because we know you're busy, but thanks again for coming to the show. Yeah. Jamie Stewart, thanks. everybody. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And uh, to all our body bag listeners, thank you and hope you have a good one. Have a good week, everybody. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Body Bag Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe and leave us a comment as to what you'd like to hear us review or any horror movie topics you'd like to hear us rant and rave about. And while you're at it, you can find us on Twitter at Body Bag Pod and on Instagram at Body Bag Podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.